behind me it's uh david hale's episode my old it boss is. mentor friend the, the man introduced us to each other introduced us to each other so there's no breakfast club without this conversation yeah he should have been our first guest we screwed up um because <laughs> i mean he none of this like he this is he's the reason why it's all happened yeah when i first i first saw him around the office um you know he's like on first notice a quiet person yeah he's very soft-spoken he comes across very soft-spoken yeah he kind of you know i'd see him getting coffee say hello and and but then um had started having conversations with him and i'd i'd find myself going in to ask him a question about a clause in the contract and i'd be in there for an hour yeah you know and just not just talking about work but he and I bonded over so many things. Like we had rough mentors before that hadn't given us the right kind of grounding to become lawyers. And so we bonded over that. And he was one of those for me and, uh, and just a great lawyer, great, great privacy, privacy lawyer, IP lawyer, tech lawyer, uh, litigator. And he's pretty much contracts. Like I, there's not much he can't do. He's truly a general counsel, even though he's, he's kind of served in a CPO uh deputy general counsel function for a while yeah david presents quiet but he's got a lot to say because he's got a lot of experience man and he's seen a lot of things like he's seen some things you know what i mean and like uh i i i feel like under his like calm demeanor and quiet disposition there is a like you know like a raging volcano that's (laughs) we didn't we didn't get into this on the call but he, he did run all of our you know all the tech litigation Mm. Ameritrade. So like you don't you can't do that job without exactly set at some exactly. point, right? Exactly. <laughs> Just that exactly. upsetting, upsetting set of things to be to be working on and doing. Exactly. Can we talk about how that orange snork behind you is wearing an Hermes belt? Like what a fashion statement, man. That's a it's a yeah. whole thing, man. It's uh looking good. It's it's a weird show. I watched it. With- <laughs> Look at all the gender tropes behind you. Like it's so weird. Let, let me just say this episode is not in support of the snorks as a show. <laughs> as I a watched show. the snorks when I was a kid, man. I'm not gonna act like I didn't. They were they were just weird little creatures <laughs> with round heads and big eyes. But like, um, yeah, they talk a lot for being underwater. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. They don't they didn't figure that out. I don't know. Yeah. They just they just let that go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's right. do it, man. All right. Here we are, Pedro. We're here. Keanu's here. Here we are. Uh with our buddy, friend, old friend David Hale, uh, who is now a partner at Brownstein Hyatt. But before that, Chief Privacy Officer at TD Ameritrade, my boss, my friend, my mentor. <laughs> Uh, great lawyer, um, swimmer, beauty, extraordinaire. So a lot to talk about here, but he introduced us to each other. So he did. He did. Whole thing is not happening without David. <laughs> Thank you, David. Keanu cares so much. He's chewing on a heart. <laughs> this is this is what I, he does. I'm curious. I'm curious how you guys met, and and then. I know it was IAPP. I know it was some IAPP thing. I'm pretty sure, David, but I don't know. I mean, I think we just sat next to each other at a breakfast or lunch or something something at an IAPP conference and and started talking. I think you were still at a law firm then. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I was still at the firm. And then you, um, you know, I kept track of you. And when you were at Oracle, yeah, I reached out to you for some some uh, track I was organizing for IAPP. That's right. Yeah, we met over some bad breakfast at a conference hotel. (laughs) Probably some worse coffee. Bad breakfast and worse coffee. But no, we had a good chat. I remember remember that moment. So um, now that you mentioned it specifically, I I recall exactly how we met. Yeah, one of those round tables in the, uh, you know, in the lobby where they had, you know, the IPP served that like cold coffee and breakfast. Exactly. 
I was fortunate enough to have the office next door to yours. And that happened for me at a time when um, I was really just doing all these commercial contracts and, and stuff at TD Ameritrade. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about, Pedro, before, so many privacy issues come up via the contract angle. And it's uh, so lucky that he was right next door to me because I probably annoyed him asking a bunch of questions. But, uh, you know, uh, obviously that was a formative time for me. And, and so I guess maybe a good place to, because David, you were the first person I knew that really started talking about, I mean, other than like health privacy, which had been an issue at my law firm before, in this context, in the business context, in the tech context, it was the first time I'd seen someone who was really focused on that. And it, I think it's an interesting, an interesting story and place to start because if I remember correctly, the, the GC of Ameritrade sort of said to you, like, I, you have to do this. We don't have anybody else that can do this. Um, is that how that went? Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much right. You know, I started off, um, I was originally hired at Ameritrade to, I was an IP lawyer, doing trademarks and, and, you know, some litigation, was hired by them to, to manage the, uh, you know, the patent litigation and, uh, you know, manage the patent, the IP portfolio. And um, was there for, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe, maybe, maybe six weeks when uh, Ellen Coppola, the, the PC, walked in and got this privacy question. And, you know, it's it's sort of closer to what you do than, than any of the other four attorneys at the time. Uh, so you're, you know, it's, you're it. And, um, and go find outside counsel to answer it, right? But I could, it was just 2002, I couldn't find outside counsel, right? I mean, they just were one. And it was easier to just answer the question. And then, um, you know, next thing I know, uh, you know, a year later, it's it's half of what I do. And then I left, um, actually, it was enough, it was becoming enough of what I did that, that I actually left Ameritrade for a couple of years. Uh, to join a firm, Wildman Herald in, in Chicago, that that actually was one of the few groups that actually had a focus in privacy at that point in uh, 2004, 2005, right? So, uh, you know, I felt like I was, like I just had no idea what I was doing, right? And, and um, making it up as I was going along and not really realizing that, that at that point, that's what everybody was doing, right? They were all kind of, they were all kind of making it up as we were going along. <laughs> And uh, figuring it out, right? And um, uh, you know, so that was a good experience. A couple years later, family reasons, you know, I, I reached out to um, to Ellen to see if she had any ideas of you know, places I could go back in, in Maryland. And she said, "Yeah, come back and and we'll do we'll make you need privacy specifically, right?" And uh, uh, which was great. I was happy to come back and uh, ultimately ended up taking IP back as, as well, right? And eventually built a team that was both IP and, and privacy. But, um, but, but most of my time was focused on privacy for the last 15 years. So. It was really, it was also all of the technology, you know, and I feel, I feel like that's how um, that's how you and I started working together more and more was, um, obviously I was on the contract side and I had a, a different boss that was the contracts person. She left, I went and worked in your group for you. And, but prior to that, we had bought this company right when I joined this, uh, Thinkorswim, this options platform that was really like a startup with, you know, heavy emphasis on building technology. And because of that, I was supporting them on all their contracts and, and the diligence side of that transaction, I ended up becoming the person they, they called about their technology questions. And then we ended up having a lot of the innovation flow through our team, which was really fortunate. And did that feel, that ended up being, I think, just, I would, I would have maybe paint it with a broader brush. It was like tech, innovation, privacy, data. Is that, is that how you felt about it? Yeah, that's right. Along with marketing, right? And uh, it, you know, those those two areas were really kind of the. And, and I think you know, privacy was a huge driving issue in both of those groups, but that wasn't all of it, right? There was obviously IP and and a lot of contracting questions. Um, while you were there, you know, you handled a lot of the contracts, a lot of the technical contracts, but 
um, so that, that kind of moved in and out of, of what I was doing. You know, sometimes we had, we had contract lawyers who who did more technology stuff, and sometimes it, it tended to land more in in, in my world. Um, but yeah, that was that's right. It was it was all of those things together, and it's and in some ways it's kind of hard to pull them apart, right? That. Uh, and, and, and things are so integrated to each other. Yeah. It's hard to, um, you, you know, it's hard to say, well, I'm, I'm just a privacy attorney or I'm just a technology attorney or I'm just an IP attorney. I mean, I, three of the, of the patent suits I worked on were on security um, technologies, right? On, on uh, uh, encryption issues, right? And so, <laughs> You know, it, it, it felt like, you know, everything, uh, you know, everything synergized, so to speak, you know, all the time. Pedro, how does that work at Facebook or, or Salesforce or Oracle or one of the past companies where the number of attorneys uh, is just larger? Meritrade is a, obviously a bigger company than where I work now with more lawyers, but not nearly the, you know, the, the scale of the legal department of those companies. How does that work with does everybody have to know a little bit about everything still? I think commercial lawyers have to be conversational in our work, right? At, at those big companies, these big companies, Facebook, Salesforce, and Oracle. Like you can't be a successful commercial attorney and not have like some privacy and cybersecurity basis to do your job because there just isn't, because there just aren't enough privacy lawyers to cover all of the transactions these companies do, right? And that need that require like legal attention. So I think there's a baseline. I would call it like conversational working knowledge that all lawyers at tech companies just sort of have to have if they're touching product, whether that's through transactions or they're like product counseling, right? Um, with that said, though, privacy has gotten and privacy and cybersecurity have each separately gotten so deep as practice areas. The idea of having a privacy and security lawyer that is the same person to me is ridiculous at this point. And some companies still try to do that. Um, the other thing is it's gotten so deep and complicated that now you're seeing subspecialties within both, right? So like there are like, for example, just to stick with Salesforce as the example, Salesforce breaks its legal team into like the privacy legal team, the product legal team. And then like, they call it something new now, but it was like, cyber and technology legal team, which is more of a data security team, legal team, right? Within the privacy team I, that I lived in, for example, like I was the CCPA guy, I was the Latin America guy, I was the uh, LGPD guy, right? These kind of things. We had a HIPAA person, we had an employment privacy person, like very much subspecialized. Cyber was the same. We had like a, you know, a public sector security, data security person. We had a, whatever, I don't know, all these different verticals. If you've got the money and the resources to make that happen, it's awesome. You need it, right? What I don't understand about privacy and cyber as practice areas is how much dabbling I see happen. If I was at a small company and I did not have a tax legal department and I had a tax legal question, I wouldn't ask my commercial law generalist to like hash out the old tax question for me right um and you wouldn't do that with like i don't know like an sec issue but somehow with privacy yeah it's like hey jump on the google and let me know what's going on with like this part of like you know with the dma in europe like i don't know why privacy law as a practice lends itself to a lot of dabbling and that's where i think i see a lot of companies make mistakes which is like i'm the chief compliance officer and the chief privacy officer what? Like, how is that even possible? Like, how do you do those two jobs effectively? I don't understand. I'm also the head of cybersecurity legal. I'm also, what? Like, how do you, one human being do all of this? It's not possible. Even oversee all of this is not possible because they're just such diverse practice areas. So I don't know why our practice lends itself to dabbling. I think the bigger companies are starting to realize that like hyper-specialization within privacy and cyber is necessary if you want to be like out in front and solving complex problems like Facebook and Google, for example, not only do we have the most complex issues, we have to solve them first. The rest of the industry is kind of, what's Google going to do? What's Facebook going to do? What's Microsoft going to do? What's Amazon going to do? You know, what's Apple going to do? And so we have to do, I think, the hyper-specialization. And, and, and I think these, the companies I just mentioned all sort of do it. Yeah, I think that's right. That, that, you know, as, but there is sort of a limitation to how much you can 
um, specialize if you've got a legal group that's, you know, five people or right, right. one person or, you know, even four, right? I mean, when, when, uh, when Ameritrade was acquired by, by Schwab, we had, I think, 42 legal partners, of which, I don't know, maybe 25, 27, and, you know, how much, how, how much of your bandwidth there can you dedicate to, um, to those sorts of issues? Now, we had, a, you know, we had two privacy people, we had, you know, some IP people separate uh, and cross-trained. Uh, on privacy, but uh, uh, privacy and cybersecurity, right? And but you know, ultimately, can't have a team of twenty if the whole team is twenty. And uh, so it's I, it is a balance, and and um, I think it's I mean, you have to you have to do the best you can, right? And with with the resources that uh, that you're able to bear given the size of your company. You know, I think that's right. I think that's right. Right? I mean, it's not on. You know, that's not a. It's not a small company by any means, right? So uh, I think there's. You know, you have to. Uh, uh, you know, be thoughtful about how you allocate those resources when you're um, when you don't have the resources of a place like Facebook or Google. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Ameritrade ran lean. Uh, and, you know, always ran lean. So, like in terms of in terms of in-house, like another company with that revenue level could have had two or three x the size legal team and justified it, and and spent less outside. And, you know, I mean, there's obviously there's different ways to do it. Um, and but but I think like the the I, I guess I'm I, it leads me to ask you the question about like leaving that environment and going into a law firm now where even at, at a Facebook or Google, there's still reliance on outside counsel because they're in, in a particular issue more or they're across a client base more and they're having you know, varied experiences and, and, or they just trust that person's opinion or their advice. So like, how was that for you to transition where you're like coming out of that legal team where there's subspecialties or there's you know, a regulatory guy, guy right down the hall from you and, and going into a firm now where you're not in the conversations with the engineers, you're not in the conversations with, um, you know, the, the innovators and the leadership team, et cetera. What's that like for you now? It's, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's been a bit of a challenge, right? I mean, it, it's, it, I mean, there are other aspects of it that are, you know, that are great. Right? But really, I'm, I'm, I'm really liking getting to work with a variety of uh, uh, of clients and and seeing sort of uh, how these issues morph when they cross different um, different industries, but uh, but that is a little frustrating, right? To, to have it be two or three uh, or more people separated from that engineer who's actually looking at the log file, right? And <laughs> you know, trying to figure out um, you know in in a breach, for example, and trying to figure out how how to respond and what what is really happening. Um, and I think that's a, a key role that in-house counsel play, right? Is it being able to establish that relationship with those parties and translate that to, to the rest of the legal department, to, um, to outside counsel, and even to other parts of the business, right? Um, that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of ways, I think the role of, of, of good in-house counsel is, is essentially providing translation services, right? Translating between the business needs and the outside lawyers, or um, or the technologists and, and law, the law, um, and even in some cases between the technologists and the business people, right? Because them are talking at each other. So it is a little, uh, you know, that aspect of it, I admit, right? But I also think that it's an important part of, as you move back outside, to being outside of the planet, um, understanding the needs of the business in terms of understanding what the law is, is, you know, is, is part of the value that we have, right? Part of the value that I have, right? Is, is um, I can cut through and my first instinct is not to give a, a, a you know a ten page memo in answer to their question because right? I know that's not what they want. It it may be right. I mean, maybe the 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 if you've got a strong in in house counsel, maybe that is what they want. Right? They're, they're trying to cover. 
three sentences and, and they do not read all the sentences. <laughs> I want the one word answer because usually when I go to outside counsel, I'm asking yes or no questions. Like, does this mean this? Does that mean that? Did I get this right? Am I wrong? Do, do you hate this strategy? Is this the right strategy? Like, that's how I go to outside counsel to economize time and cost, right? Even now, I mean, at Facebook, like, it's not like we have like a, what is it, a blank check to do whatever. I, I'm in a more policy role. When I work with outside counsel, I also have to navigate the fact that like, I'm not really seeking legal advice anymore. Now I'm just like, look, I want a policy angle when I talk to outside advisors, right? And even in the context of a policy angle, that doesn't mean I want these like long-winded, you know, white papers. Like, it's like, we, my team develops like Facebook's thinking on a policy issue. Right. And sometimes we just want like an independent eye on it to like validate what we're thinking or tell us, no, that's nuts, you know, whatever. Like it, it, that's kind of how I approach engaging outside counsel versus farming workout. Because to the point you made earlier, David, like we have this huge department full of really brilliant people. I'd be wasting their brains if I didn't use it. Right. But it's always good to get an outside perspective because sometimes you start drinking your own Kool-Aid and, and kind of lose touch with how the world is perceiving what you're doing. Right. Let me um, just like say, let me let me just say uh, it's a very different world when you're the GC and the sole lawyer. I bet. And um, you know, I've read, I'm lucky enough now to have, you know, two other people on, on the team here at Alice. Like, and so that feels a little better, but it's, it's not materially different than, than kind of being on your own. And in that sense, Pedro, you know, what I'm looking for in outside counsel is a little bit different. I think it depends on the, the thing. You know, there's plenty of times when I might bounce a question or, and, it, and it might be yes or no, or it might be a conversation, but like sometimes, um, the, the what separates it for me from who's like a helpful outside counsel to who's really like really really helpful and really the go-to people will be the ones that inevitably and it's not always people that were in-house but it tends to be sometimes the people that were where they'll go well, okay i hear your question and you need a customer facing document that's one page that addresses why you are a value add with respect to uh, a, a, your customer dealing with anti-bribery acts and you need that one pager and I'm going to help you write it. Like then you just go as the just old GC, you just, you're like drop, drop down and go, thank you so much. Like I'm so busy and you know exactly what I need. I don't need a memo. You're right. I don't need a 10 pages, but brass tacks, what do I need? What is, what is an enterprise customer? Want? You don't need a 50 page memo on anti-bribery laws uh, summary the world of can you guys hear my dog barking can you yeah. hear that yeah. okay oh, yeah. can i just say why he's doing this because i think this is important my tv has a screensaver upstairs and when it goes into it it's samsung's logo and it bounces around the screen he's upstairs right now barking up a shitstorm at this logo as it moves around my the screen of my tv what is wrong with my dog? And shame on Samsung for hypnotizing him. He can't stop barking at this thing. It's so frustrating. I'll be back. Shout out to Samsung for that. <laughs> I have to say, you know, I, I, when I was in house, right, I used outside counsel mostly a lot like uh, Pedro does, right? In, in terms of, you know, because we, you know, we were the type of company we were, we developed that expertise, right? That's what, you know, we weren't generalists. We were, you know, we needed to have that depth of experience. And a lot of other people at the at the firm had different, you know, different verticals had similar kind of kind of experience, right? They're talking to outside counsel when either it gets like incredibly hairy or, um, you know, to validate, okay, this is what I'm thinking. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, yes or no, right? Or, or where me. am I wrong? And, but but it's different with smaller companies, right? And 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 that's where the answer becomes a little bit more okay. That's going to help solve your problem. And you know, I one of the, I think it's interesting that the model doesn't the the law firm model is is hard to marry up to that, right? I'm I'm frustrated by that now. I'm frustrated. I was frustrated by it then, right? That. Um, you know, not that I wanted to give away money, but, you know, it was, it was valuable to me to have, um, you know, access to outside counsel, but often, you know, it was a 20 minute conversation, right? And, 
you know, you want to say, you know, just only for two hours, because this was really, really useful, even though it was only a 20 minute conversation. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you can't do that, right? Obviously, they don't, you don't do that. But, uh, but now I feel sort of that same way, right? That, that, that some of the biggest value that I'm giving to clients is, you know, that 15 minute phone call. Um, and I think there's a you know question about how do you you know how how do you appropriately bill fairly on both sides? Right? We've talked a lot about um, our relationships with our peer set and outside counsel. So like with our peer set group of people, the roundtable you're going to come to in a couple of weeks, like there's a Signal WhatsApp group where we're like bouncing stuff off each other we sometimes wonder if outside counsel should be interacting with us in those that way and quick, quick hits. And again, like the model doesn't support that, but I would really appreciate if they were just in on the conversation, I wouldn't necessarily, it would be hard to figure out how to bill for that, but it's, it's going to lead to the conversation that's longer and billable. And so I think there's a, there's a, there's new and fresh thinking that can come around that when we were looking for, um, when we were thinking about uh, at Alice, who our corporate counsel should be one of the things I talked about with the firms that we talked to was I need you to be able to work on Google Docs with me. I need you to be able to text with me. That's how I want to communicate. And my team wants to communicate with you. Right. And the firms that are like, of course, that's where you are. We're going to be where you are. Those are the ones that inevitably they're figuring it out and they're tweaking and they're adjusting um, to get there. I totally like extremely agree. When I came to Facebook, like the outside advisors that I brought with me are the ones that I know are the most flexible, also the smartest, but like I, I'm on my other screen here, I'm watching uh, Elisa Hutnick, who we've had on the podcast before, work on a document that we're working on together right now. I'm watching her do it in Google Docs and she's texting me in real time. Like this is how I operate. So if, you know, the idea of like, let's have a weekly conference call and you know i'll send you my thoughts in a long email to david's point earlier that's dead like there's no way that like my generation of lawyers and the, especially the ones that come behind us like forget it there's no chance like zero chance that you're going to be able to do it like the old school way like client alerts like i don't need a client alert like i woke up this morning to a text from my outside uh counsel saying like hey this happened this morning and it's you know, set off of work stream that we had to do. I can't wait for the firm to create a client alert that's going to come out in two days to tell me this. Like I, I live in the real time moment. I have to respond. Right. And so uh, totally agree with you, Andy. And like uh, just speed, I guess, is the essence of all of it. Like things have to move fast uh, because the stakes are high and, and especially like big, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, but if, if you're, like Facebook has to be responsive to things in real time, right? Because it's Facebook, but so yeah, does Salesforce. They have, they have right? a lot of stuff. They have a lot of stuff to break. They have to move fast and break all that stuff. No, we don't move fast and break <laughs> things anymore. That's been gone for a long time. We move carefully and are thoughtful. But uh, like, I'm glad but like, that's changed. It's been changed. But <laughs> you know, issue that I think. I mean, frankly, one of the things that I've discovered and been a little surprised about is that that's not universal, right? That there are still right. a lot of companies that that. You know that do want that memo, right? That do want yeah. um, that don't that, that communicate, um, you know, by email at best, right? And um, it, it, that's a you know they're around and, and as a as an outside counsel, right? You you want to serve those people too, right? Of course. And, and so it's um, you have to be um, thoughtful about that. But but those companies are suff suffering. They're they're dealing with the same issues that that the big companies are dealing with in terms of response times, right? And et cetera, um, to when they're dealing with their customers and especially in something like breach response, right. you know, I, there's just, um, it, there's kind of a, a difference between at least some people's expectations about how this things, these things work and you know, the, the pace at which business has traditionally run, right? That, um, you know, there are occasionally you'll see, you know, an article coming out after a big breach and critical of a company because they took you know, 72 hours to send out notice. Right. And, um, you know, why you know, it took them a whole day to, to let people know that this was happening. And that's just impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and it's certainly impossible if you don't put in the time ahead of time to be ready. Right. To have stuff. Uh, in the can that's ready to go. Um, 
where you just have to adjust it to the particular facts and you're ready to put it out there. So, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a, as an outside advisor, that's one of the things that, that we can bring value to, to people is by saying, you know, hey, have you thought about this? What are you going to do, right? If this happens and you have to respond within, you know, uh, you know, a couple of days at the most, right? If you if you think you've got forty five days here, you know, you don't, right? Um, this is I'm ready. Be- I'm ready to derail the podcast with yeah. just something interesting. You know who David reminds me of, Andy? Have you seen the movie Office Space? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peter from Office Space, the protagonist of the movie. I feel like David, on his way to work, definitely listens to gangster rap. I'm pretty confident about this. I'm pretty confident about this. And I feel like his quiet, kind of like gentle demeanor, under there lies like a privacy rage to get things done that I know exists. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you, I don't remember his last name, Peter somebody or other, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. You remind me of him, man. Have you ever destroyed a copy machine? That's Michael Bolton. You're thinking of Michael just, Bolton. Oh, it is Michael Bolton. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about Michael Bolton's the one who listens to gangster rap. You're right. right. No, Peter is like the protagonist, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy who like rebels against like corporate nonsense. Um, yeah, I feel like you've participated in the copy, copier destruction, which I I, I, I I vouch for and think would be amazing. Is it true? I, I have never destroyed a copier, but I did want to uh, throw a tele- telephone out of four-story window. So. You see, you see how we discover things. Was it? Were you? What t- we need the facts around this. I, I mean, I was I was in college. I was working. I worked on the newspaper. I was editor in chief of the newspaper. Nice uh, at Rice, and uh, you know, we were having one of those. Uh, we had a, an ancient, then ancient phone system, right? And uh, it, you know, it just. It, it, it just went out and I was interviewing somebody and it went out in the middle of it and you know the phone just it had to go and <laughs> David was an outlaw in college Andy I'm telling you man I can you see know, the so you're, you you're... To, I mean look the, the I mean in some sense I'm not really proud of that right you yeah, have to I'm proud of it shit that's amazing <laughs> the, the telephone who cares right but I think that there's a you you have to be there's something serious here, right? And that you you can't do that to people. Of course. And um and, and look, you know, there were times in 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 college when we yelled at each other, right? And and uh, uh, you know, eventually you have to get that, or as soon as possible, right? You have to get that out of your system. And, yeah. And you have to treat people, um, you know, with a certain amount of respect. So when I think about that, you know. I think, yeah, okay, right. I threw the window out. I, mean, I threw the telephone out the window, but um, <laughs> you can. But you know, you have to. You know, thinking out an object's one thing, right? You got to be careful about people. So. Here's one thing that is sort of Peter-esque about David. Well, you won't know uh, Pedro, and it's in Office Space. He gets hypnotized, right? And then, That's right. And then he's off doing things that are sort of like just you know a bucking convention. And one time <laughs> I walked into work and I and I saw David and I said I saw this show. Um, I was probably an early Food Network show, and I was like, it was about this taco shop in a gas station, which happens to be one mile from here. Right. Did you, are you aware of this place? And he goes, not only am I aware of this place, we're going for lunch today. Nice. So, so there we are just like crushing tacos in a gas station uh, parking lot, really. And nice. Wasn't much there. And then we went there a bunch of times together afterwards. And that's very like, let me embrace the Zen because because the work can wait for for an hour. There, there's some we were working hard enough, you know. Um, and that was one of the things I appreciated about the friendship side of our relationship, for sure. Oh, that, were the tacos good? They were worth it? The tacos were excellent. Gas station tacos. Where was this? Was this Where was this? In D.C., the, there's uh, a gas station that's got fire tacos. Yeah, it's at, it's, it's at the intersection of uh, Route 175 and Route 1 in, uh, in Ellicott City, Maryland. Or- nice. 
I love gas station tacos, man. Like, like those, like little. It doesn't even have to be a food truck. Whereas it's a taco stand this, inside. This the gas was, yeah, this was a restaurant. Yes. I mean, a yes. restaurant is a kind way to describe <laughs> counter. It. it was a counter. Yeah, it was a cat. Yeah. It was independent. Yeah. It was independent. Like it was ne next to the convenience part. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's much better than putting a subway in the gas station, you know? Like, let's get the taco stand. Like, some, right? food, some Food Network show went there, you know? They're like, yeah. this is legit, and it really is. <laughs> that, awesome, yeah. man. Nothing like some gas so, vapor so, you down some tacos. So, David, you, you, this, this, like, this is natural, right? You, like, you grew up in Texas. So, like, what, what was that like from a, like, when did, you, when did you even become aware of privacy as a thing? Was, did that ever ha enter your lexicon before... Like when you were growing up in the 80s or, or, or 90s, like, or was it just way later in work only? So, I, well, I, I get to, you know, there's the first inkling of, of kind of, you know, what, what, what does it mean about privacy was, I, I, I can't remember if it was in Texas or if it was, you know, when I was visiting my grandparents, but I, I was with my grandfather. Um, and we went to Radio Shack because we're big dorks. And um, <laughs> this would have been in the in the mid '80s, right? Uh, maybe late '80s. And the uh, you know we bought whatever it was that we were you know buying. And um, the the clerk asked my my grandfather for his social security. Right? Oh, you gotta give it up to Radio Shack for being bold, man. What? <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and I mean, this is a thing that Radio Shack did, right, for uh, 15 years, probably. And, um, and, and my grandfather's response was, you don't give me benefits, right? You know, you don't, you don't, you're not paying my Social Security um, check every month. So no, right? And, um, and, and that was the first moment where I was like, God, you know, there's, this matters. This actually does matter, right? Well, I got to tell you, though, I think it's perfectly fair and proportionate when you go to Radio Shack to buy some AA batteries to give up your social security number, right? I think it makes perfect sense. Look, I mean, it, <laughs> in the 90s, they were printing your social, I mean, back in the day when they used to mail you your 1040. Yeah, of course, yeah. Put your tax, you know, to fill out your taxes, right? They would pre-print your label with your social security number on it and mail it to you, right? <laughs> On the Fair. outside of the mailing label. And I mean, I can remember that in the, you know, in the mid 90s, it was sort of an innovation. They only did it for a couple of years. But, you know, it, it, I, I, that's a whole other subject in terms of, you know, do we really treat social security numbers appropriately, right? They were never intended to be authentication mechanisms. Why do we use it that way? It's sort of a big, stupid waste of time. Um, Is that corporation's fault? Thing. That's corporations' fault, yeah? That yeah, I, mean, I, I would put it squarely at the feet of the credit bureaus, actually. I think that's right. Specifically, um, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it, we really, it's squandered a resource here, right? In the sense that social securities are so useful. Yeah. You know, it, from a database perspective, you know, from, from, from the perspective of, of, you know, making sure that you understand that you're talking to me and not the David Hale that lives, you know, a mile down the road. Exactly. Um, you know, they're, they're really useful. Why do we use them for authentication where, you know, now suddenly it's super secret. We can't use it. Anyway, sorry. Um, Did you throw the cash register out the window at the radio shop? <laughs> should have. Should have. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was like 12, right? But <laughs> <laughs> even better. <laughs> you know, anyway, later on, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in Odessa, Texas, which is um, famous for football. And, and I was not a football player, I was a swimmer. And um, the, uh, uh, but, you know, when I was there, when I was my sophomore year in high school, this guy, this journalist showed up. Uh, Buzz Bissinger, who was um, he was from Philadelphia, and he won. What's his name? What's that? What's his name? Buzz Bissinger. Oh my yeah. God, that we gotta make a TV show about that guy. I, I'm sure uh, they have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It's a, okay. Good. I don't know what this is. Okay, so, okay. Okay. Well, sort of. Right. So he he wanted to write a book about high school athletics, and he decided that you know he really wanted to walk, write, write about football. So where do you go? You go to you go to oh, Texas. You go to Odessa, Texas, right? And 
um, you know, he interviewed, you know, a gazillion people over a year, right? And, um, you know, to write this this book about high school football, right? And then my senior year, right at the beginning of my senior year, the book came out, Friday Night Lights. Oh, okay. Um, now it all connects. Um, you know, it was eventually made into a movie and, and, yeah, sure. and then the TV show. The movie is, is, is closely based on the book. The TV show is not. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it suddenly was, it was, it, it was not the most flattering book, right? I mean, I would say that now with the hindsight of, you know, 30 years, it was fairly accurate. Right. I mean, there were definitely some things in it that were, you know, a little unfair, but um, but it was a fairly accurate. There's nothing in it that was false. Let me put it that way. And, you know, the problem is, is that that not surprisingly, right, West Texas has a huge racism problem. And, you know, shocked this book that was originally supposed to be about high school athletics really became about being about racism in the South. Right and and how that impacts um, kids, right? High school kids. But the privacy angle here is, you know, suddenly all of these people who were, you know, I mean, I can remember when when he was there, right? He would say, "Hey, let's go get lunch," right? And people would be like, "Sure," right? And they they would spill their lives for, you know, an hour or two hours. Gas station tacos. Writing this all down, and then it comes out two years later, and you know, there's 60 Minutes and the New York Times and you know, everybody's there interviewing all these people. And it's just a horror show for everybody. But suddenly you have this view into people's lives that were, I mean, these are not famous people, right? Celebrities have all of these mechanisms that they build up to protect their inner selves. You know, what, the, what we see on, on the you know, National Enquirer is not really who they are. And you know, regular people don't have that. And, and suddenly being confronted with, wait, all the people understand, you know, have this insight into me and how I live is, you know, frightening. And, and you know, it's a, uh, it's a very disorienting experience and everybody came out of it really bitter, right? I mean, really hating this guy, really hating this book. Um, you know, I talk to people at, at home, you know, from, from where I grew up every once in a while, and they're still mad, you know, 30 years later. And um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, that was one of the things that gave me a little bit of insight into, you know, why this matters. People weren't, you know, one of the, one of the aspects of what we deal with in privacy, um, you know, day to day is this, this disconnect between people wanting to give up information or being willing to give up information in the in, in the short term without really understanding the long-term impact right and I mean this is one of those debates that keeps coming up over and over again in the you know in the privacy community right those of us who are, who are geeking out on privacy and going to IAPP and things like that you know it, it, it's one of our our big big three concerns made, right? Is that, that people don't really understand what, what information they're giving up. And that's our explanation for why they keep doing it, despite the fact that um, it's, it's, we think that it's bad for them. And, um, and I think there's some validity there. I think it's maybe overstated, but you know, that, that, uh, that was sort of a big picture that, you know, this, this, the media descending on this small town was kind of a, a sudden big picture um, embodiment of what happens subtly every day, you know, in a, in a small way, every time we go to a website and say, yeah, okay, I'll tell you, you know, this information about me in order to get this coupon. Yeah. Let's end on this question because it's, it's the most important question of the day here. So I live in Georgia. I'm from Florida. I've lived in Virginia, Mississippi, North Carolina, these places. The South. Yeah. Is Texas in the South? <laughs> you know, I, that's a really good question. I, so as an aside, right, I took an entire course in college on that. Right? And, um, and the answer is the, the Eastern half of Texas is in the South, right? Um, and, I mean, it's very South, but 
even when you get out of that and you get in the West Texas where I grew up, there was a lot of South there, right? And, you know, I, I'd even argue that in some ways, you know, the South has stopped being a geographic location and started being kind of a, a way of looking at the world. And I think you can argue that places like Idaho are part of the South, right? And uh, it's not just about racism, but a lot of it's about racism. You know, Northern Virginia, not the South, right? Sure. I mean, it's just, it's just not. <laughs> uh, Maryland's, you know, really isn't either. Um, but, you know, places where it, 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 it's, you know, what are you looking at, right? What, what, it's a way of looking at, at, at life in terms of, you know, again, I, I think that racism is an incredibly important part of it, but sort of obvious, right? The, the less important, the less obvious part is, you know, things like, how do you make money? Right? Do you, are you making stuff, or are you are you pulling stuff out of the ground? You know, are you um, uh, and and how does that shape your politics? Right? Is what's um, you know is your are you producing stuff out of the intellectual property, or are you producing you're producing value by by creating something that's like you know intellectual property, or are you are you pulling oil out of the ground or cotton? And uh, you know those are very different. Um, mindsets and they tend to go regionally right yeah i mean i think there's definitely like the like racial history part of what southernness means and and i agree with you that that is a component i think there's another one which is like disposition like and demeanor right there's like a southern style of being and oh, I, absolutely. It, right and you know i to end on a light note like the test i like to apply is like whether you're from texas or you're from the south right is like if you think it's appropriate to wear a cowboy hat to a wedding, you're Texan. You're not from the South. <laughs> it's just, that's just the way I look at it, right? Like, it's just like, not the, you're not from the South. Yeah, all. I mean, I don't want to be negative about it. Right? I mean, there's aspects of, of Southernness that are, you know, Beautiful. that are wonderful, that are great, right? I mean, Beautiful, yeah. who are, I mean, there's a grace there. There's a certain standard, you know, there's a certain standard of behavior. Pageantry of, of Southernness, yep, yep, yep. You know, be, being kind to each other and, and, um, that's it, very direct, right? When you're face to face, it's a little bit less maybe when you're talking in the abstract, but uh, you know, it's, hey, I, I live in Maryland. It's, you know, I didn't go all the way out from the South. So, I, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. Nice. That's all I got. We have right. solved a big problem. Yeah, we did it. We did it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> all right, David, thanks for, thanks for dialing in and talking with us. Um, it's great to see you. We're seeing our friends this way. So know, man. it's been a while. Since, yeah. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you're doing well, David. Congrats on like the transition. I know it's been a little bit, but like, I'm sure you're going to rock it. Yeah. It's, uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And you know, um, don't be strange. Yeah. Same, we'll, we'll, we'll see, see you uh, in person sometime. For some cold coffee and some cold breakfast. Hopefully. <laughs> We don't like that about right about now, I think. I'm in. Take it. All right. All right. Good to see you guys. Hey, man. Man.